All right. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Visual with Mark Hansen. This is the podcast where I interview those people responsible for creating all those visuals you see out in your world every single day. I am your host, lifestyle and advertising photographer, Mark Hansen. And today, my guest is Erada Svetlana from the Martin Agency. She is the design studio manager and digital producer over there at the Martin Agency. And during this podcast, we talk about all kinds of stuff. We talk about celebrities, good and bad about celebrities. We talk about being a photographer and uh, which she does as well as the production end. She uh, actually won some awards with Martin Agency shooting a pro bono campaign for them. So we talk about that a little bit. Um, talk about how they have found some photographers and the importance of getting a release, even when you're doing a testing uh, in case the agencies want to see that and a whole lot of other stuff. So we're talking about where she's from, where she was born, and how that all worked out, and how she came over to the United States. So be sure and check all this out, take a listen to it, and uh, I think you're gonna like this one. Pretty much, I start out with everybody, and start with you, is how did you get started? How did you end up a producer? How did you end up at Martin? You know, what led you to all that? Because I'm sure it's not one of those things where you as a kid, you're like, oh, I want to be a producer. And you I know. did want to be an advertiser now. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. As, okay. I know you shoot. So did you yes. want to be in advertising as a photographer or just in advertising? And then the photography was just something that helps, you know, you do on the side or it worked out or how that all work? Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely the latter, you know, like, I don't, I don't think anybody, well, I don't know many people that, you know, grow up and they're like, oh, man, I can't wait to be a producer and, <laughs> and, and worry about schedules and budgets and chase people down, trying to make things happen and have people yell at you. I'm just kidding. They only yell at you sometimes. Um, but I, funny enough. I, I mean, I was always creative, right? So I think when you work in advertising or photography, you just have a creative brain and, you know, you like storytelling. And um, I watched, and I really like movies. So I watched What Women Want with Mel Gibson. Yes, I remember And that. I loved the pitch for uh, the, the Nike women's running ad. I loved it. Um, I thought the pitch was fantastic and I thought how cool is it to and I always like watching ads period I was one of those kids like my dad I don't know if you do that with your kids but um, I definitely love watching ads with my dad and like we would always share ideas like oh wouldn't it be cool to do that wouldn't it be cool to do that I just ruin movies for my children why (laughs) because i sit there and i'll say you see that you see how the lighting's completely screwed on that thing (laughs) that way or they were watching um that netflix show our i think it's netflix outer banks have you seen it oh god i've heard about it sounds so my daughter's trying to watch it they we've my wife and i started watching it we're three episodes in because the girl's like you need to watch it you need to watch it there's literally a scene where the sun is setting Mm-hmm. and they're talking like two people are talking and the sun is setting they do a cut to one of the people the exact same scene you know the exact two seconds later all of a sudden it is noon i mean the lighting's completely changed and so that's the kind of crap i do to the point where my daughters and my wife they finally gotten used to it but for a while they're like you suck i hate watching movies with you <laughs> yeah um 
so your dad, I you kind of do the same thing though. You yeah. know, like every time I watch a movie, I, so a little background, I worked at LA center studios uh, when I lived in LA for um, I think a year, but LA center studios, the building itself is used in a lot of movies, like from uh, Batman begins to many commercials to uh, one of the, um, Oh my God, what's that movie with, uh, not Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, one of the oh, yeah, Fast yeah. and Furious movies. So every time I see it, I'm always, I'm always like, that's LA Center Studios. And, you know, my boyfriend at the time was like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I, I'm aware. We've, you've done this enough times. I already know what the building looks like and I've never been there. So, oh. um, yeah, so anyways, I would watch uh, commercials with my dad. And then so when I watched this movie and I saw like how it actually came to life, I was like, I want to do that. I want to be in advertising. I want to sell a thought, an idea. I want to make people feel things or inspire them. Um, and then it becomes a whole, a whole other ball game, I would say, when you actually get involved, right? Like yeah. you dreamt of being a photographer and then like you become a photographer and it's just, bigger than you what you thought it was going to be yeah nobody tells you about all the little things on the side you have to do oh yeah it's a whole different and i'm sure you and i knew you can speak to this is like when you go from doing it as a hobby to a profession mm -hmm. completely different ball game completely different way, way of life right oh yeah yeah completely because so, when you're just a hobby you can do what you want you don't think about it and you just if you want to shoot, you shoot. You're not worried about your income, you know, what, what everybody else is going to think about that shot, whatever, you know, all those little things. So yeah, it's completely different. How do you stay passionate? I want to know that. How do you stay passionate and not like, because for a lot of people, it's the art form and they're like, well, if I'm stressed out about the art form, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So how do you stay passionate about it? For me, it's really just, probably more more than anything else it's looking at other photographers and watching movies yeah. those two things i think push me and then traveling so mm -hmm. if i travel someplace a lot of times that'll push me and get me those creative juices kind of flowing and make me even if i only have my iphone on me because i was in memphis three weeks ago and mm -hmm. i was there just shooting some stuff i really whatever, you know, I'm going to go do my best at it, but it's not, you're not going to see it on my website, you know, that right. kind of thing. And right. I just went and had dinner after dinner. I went and walked around, um, downtown Memphis on Bill street and the sun was setting. It was coming down like over these cool neon signs. And I just like, that was cool. So I picked up my phone and all of a sudden it just started popping off some pictures Yeah, to see what I could get. So those little things, but there are times where I get, say if I'm doing e-com, and you mm -hmm. do e-com for three weeks straight or something like that. I don't want to see a camera. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pick it up. I don't want to be around it. I want to see it. I just need some time away from it. But then I come back to it and start, you know, going for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I totally get it. You're like, I don't want to look at Photoshop. Yeah. No more. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things where, um, for me, it's even like on the, on the motion end, I like shooting it, but I'm not a big fan of editing. Yeah. You know, I'd rather give it to somebody, you know, I have a friend who's great at editing, so I'll give it to him and just, you know, I'd rather let him edit it and I'll tweak it afterwards. Kind well, of that's great that you have a partner in crime for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, because like after I shoot, like say even something for myself, um, nine times out of ten, I don't want to edit because, I, yeah. or I just take like days to not edit because I want it to be fresh and exciting in my brain when yep. I look at the photo, photos again. But that's just me. So no, I'm the same way. If I shoot, especially if it's a shoot that's taken me hours and hours or yeah. half a day or whatever or more. I'll come home, download it all off of the hard drives onto my desktop, backups, all that stuff. And then I just walk out. I won't look at it and I'll wait till the next day. I'll go through yeah. it. I'll either make my initial selects of what I like and then I leave it alone, come back to it the next day and then start getting into it a little more day two, yeah. day three, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think it's just That's cool. And I've noticed that a lot of times my initial reaction on that's the best shot usually stays right. correct. But there are definitely times where I go back and look and go, why did I select that one and not select this one over here? You know, at least oh, yeah. that group of selections. Yeah. Uh, that still happens today for me when I go back into my shots from like years ago, you oh, know, yeah. to the photos that I never edited. And I'm like, why did I overlook this shot? It was, it was great. It's totally usable. Yeah. But then, yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the way it is. And it's nice to have like now more recently, I've gotten um, some friends who are like photo consultants and that kind of thing and reps that will help me look at them and go yeah. through them. And it's because a lot of times, you know, you get those, where I remember I had a shoot I did. I thought it was great. It was amazing because I put all this effort into getting the location, you know, because uh -huh. it was a look, it was a location that everybody just couldn't get. So I put all this effort into getting the location. It was cool. The clothes were cool. And I shot it, showed it to some friends who were art buyers in New York and they went, don't show this to anybody ever. That's a good thing they're still your friends. Yeah, and I was like, why? <laughs> and he's like, because this model's terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> like, and you know what? Oh, yeah. I was like, I thought these were great. I loved all the and it. And once they said it and I went back and looked at it, they were completely right. Yeah. You know? And it was nice to have some another set of eyes look at it. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than the feeling of, a of the model being wrong for a shoot. Yes. You put so much effort into everything, especially if you're doing it yourself on a budget because it's a passion project and you want to push it through and you have this idea that you want to come to life and then you get get them in front of the camera and the, the magic doesn't click. You know, you just know that yeah. energy is just not there. What do you do when that happens for you? What do you do? I, I, I have to work harder. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that you do the same thing, but like I... I already engage the model as it is. Um, I like to meet models in advance and have a rapport with them and know that I can get along. Yeah. But when you get a person in front of the camera, even if they say they hire you for this, right? Like nine times out of 10, the person is not comfortable being in front of the camera. So you have to like talk them through it and just have a conversation like you and I are right now, right? Yeah. Just talk about bullshit and be like, right. so you know, and then hopefully they're an easy conversationalist and just can snap out of it. But I've definitely have had a number of people that just can't snap out of it because all they can see is the camera and the reflection in the lens. You yeah. know, there's some people that like love their reflection in the lens and they get really comfortable with it. 
because it's like looking in the mirror. Oh yeah. But then there's just some people that you you can absolutely tell are insecure about it about themselves and how they look, and then they see themselves and they freak out. Mm-hmm. It's intimidating, especially with a DSLR. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. I had um years ago. I used to do model testing, and that's how oh, I, okay. that's how I first got started. So I went from. Well, I started shooting weddings at 16 and did all that. We all then, did. We all did. Uh, <laughs> had no desire, man. None to go back to that. But I had a girlfriend taught me into shooting for a modeling agency that she used to be with. And then that led into doing these model tests like all over the country. Because there were these, at the time, I don't know if there still are, but there were these big modeling conventions that people, would, all these kids would go to. So they needed pictures. So I would travel around the country and you'd get these kids. I remember there were a couple of times where like, so have you done this before? No, I hate having my picture taken. And I would just go, you know, this is all about modeling and acting. What the hell do you think you're, I mean, I didn't make any sense it, to me. For them, and, it's, it's fame and money. That's all it is. Yeah, I guess. Cause it was painful. I mean, it was telling them every single move to make, having to shoot. Thank God. You know, when digital came around. Oh my God. At least yeah. I could just keep shooting. Where when I first started, I was shooting Chrome. And <laughs> dude, it was like 20. I was given three rolls, 24 shots each out of a 36. Each roll is 36. So I was splitting up two rolls. But you knew you had 24 shots to get at least one to two that were usable. And sometimes but you know it what? Possible. Sometimes, but okay, so here's what's funny about it to me is that like you know when um the the transition from film to digital happened and everyone started renegotiating the prices yes yes (laughs) begrudgingly yes Yes. (laughs) (laughs) um and people still to this you know i i i feel like some people i mean sometimes i can i've heard some you know some prices where people i'm like wow that's a little bit insane but the amount of like to to the to reinforce what you and i have been talking about like for the last few minutes there's so much work that goes into it we're not just showing up and shooting we have to worry about the whole ambiance on top of like how many times have you gotten into the pose that you wanted the model to make and you're like see i want you to pose like this All right <laughs> but there's there's nobody else there's nobody there to capture that moment where you're just like standing like a model you know with your (laughs) your you like your um your forearm over your forehead or something you know looking all dainty like um have you ever done that and then the model does it and you go "Mm, yeah okay that was not all the time yeah oh yeah lots of (laughs) lots of times i'm like and i and then i think to myself do i look that ridiculous or are they just really terrible at mimicking me? Um, See, that's good because my first thought is, wow, I really, that did not look anything like I thought it would. So I guess <laughs> I showed them something really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think some people are just really bad learners. Um, it's because modeling is acting essentially, right? Yeah. Without a script. Um, anyways, wow, that was a huge roundabout way of... Yeah. <laughs> thing (laughs) i ended up in advertising uh by by chance actually i started in 
I started in the digital bubble. So I started making um, as a media buyer and slowly it snowballed into um, working at Fox. And there I started my production lifetime where I started, I was in charge of helping sell through and build the digital executions for the TV shows, um, uh, the TV show sponsorships. Like for example, with 24, while it was on air, there's, they had three main sponsors. One of them was Cisco tech, Cisco tech. Um, the other was Sprint. And the third one, totally, I don't remember. Um, but like if there was a sweepstake, say for like, you know, a new cell phone or something like that, yeah. um, I would be the person that works with the account team and the client to make this like one of this custom made like website for the sweepstakes and manage it from end to end, from design to fulfilling to fulfillment oh, wow. of making sure that in, in some cases um, to make sure that like uh, the, the winner gets their prize. So it was a lot. Yeah. I was 25. I was really young, but I, I was only on Fox.com for like a hot minute and I switched over to FX networks and started managing that completely. So that was a lot. So you were young Fox working with people going to FX and took on the whole thing by yourself. No, obviously there was like a whole slew of people, but like for the, the thing that I was in charge of, yes, I was doing right, one. Yeah. obviously I had, you know, teams that I would work with, but um, I really enjoyed it. And my title at the time was ad product, but I remember I had a boss that was like, well, basically this is like interactive production. And I was like, yeah, you're totally right. Like I am, I'm building things and make and working with all these different teams to make it happen. And then I had a quarter life crisis because it was, I was married to my job. I grew up really fast. So I left advertising for a bit. I uh, tried to do the photography thing full time. Um, that was not successful because Were I you living went, in LA this whole time. I was living in LA and then I went to New York and I traveled around a lot, blah, 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 blah. I traveled around a lot and I met with the magazines in New York and it was one of those like conferences or fairs where you pay oh, yeah. like a grand and you meet with select um, magazines. So I met with Marie Claire and people and a bunch of like cool, uh, like all the well-known magazines that you, like you see on the, yeah. on the daily. Um, and I met with the art producers and I met with some editors. And I remember them telling me that your art, your work is, some people told me my work was too fine art for travel because I didn't do the quintessential bullshit that you see on you know instagram now right where the girl yeah. with the hat and she's like oh i'm walking and you caught me there <laughs> you know none of that nonsense i didn't do that i just like beautiful landscapes and right. i i was really good with lighting i'm still good with lighting but um and then when i met with people or marie claire i forgot what it which one i met with both of them but one of them said um your work is beautiful i love your portraits but you don't have any atheist celebrities in your portfolio there's no way for me to pitch you to my art director right yeah and i was like 
I was just devastated. Well, yeah, because how are you supposed to get the A-list people if you can't shoot for somebody like People Magazine I, to get to the A-list? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can become friends with them if I party hard enough and you I know, guess, yeah. do enough cocaine, and then that'll be it. And I'll Terry be Richardson, for life. just do his deal. Yeah, yeah precisely, <laughs> yeah. jackass. Yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, so that you know, I still shoot, but I kind of left my dreams behind on that because I was just like. There's a whole circuit. There's a whole relationship market in that, that I just, I don't have enough money or time yeah. in my brain, in my, in my journey, in my life journey that I wanted to pursue. And I actually missed the business side of, of, of creativity where advertising really fills that gap for me. So I went back into advertising. Actually, well, first I moved to New York, or sorry, Detroit, and uh, lived there for a bit. And then, okay, uh, what made you move to Detroit? My sister. Okay. Uh, my sister lives out there, and I wasn't going to move to New York because it's too expensive. Yeah. Um, got tired of LA and that whole thing, that whole scene. But. And so, you know, she lived there and I was like, well, Detroit's cool. It's coming back and I want to try it out. And Detroit still to this day is one of my favorite places in America. So, wow. Yeah, I've never yeah. been to Detroit. Oh, it's so cool. They're doing so many great um, city development, urban development things. Yeah, I've heard I, they're I trying suggest to it. get it back up and going. Oh, it's back up. Oh, There's yeah? like oh, luxury cool. hotels. and. Oh, wow. Yeah, like really great shopping experiences, and they are building out a lot of outdoor parks that stretch for miles oh, that are completely cool. connected. Yeah, um, they have they have their own Belle Isle, just like we do, yeah. um, except it's its own actual little island. It's like you have to cross the bridge, and it's gigantic. I I mean I don't know comparatively what it is uh, size wise to like Central Park, but it's like the Central Park, I would say. Oh wow! Um, before Central Park got a lot of money dumped into it, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it's really cool. I love I love it there. Um, and then the opportunity to so my friend Kim, um, who I work with now, she was like, "Hey, um, we had somebody go on maternity leave. We have a project for Land Lakes. Would you be interested? In, you know, producing this for a couple months? It was just some digital banners, and I was like." course yeah definitely and and at, at that point i've been i've been trying to like i've been i started looking into getting back into advertising and so i did that and a year later not even a year later i would say six months later she was like hey we have this project coming out for a website and would you be interested in taking it on or would you move down here if um if if we were to offer you a job and i was like yeah Definitely. So I came down, interviewed, did the whole thing, got it, went on the project. And then I moved here in May of 20, 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You haven't been in Richmond that long, man. No, fresh meat. Yeah. All <laughs> right. God, so what? When I, was with, when I met you, you must have just started. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's been very interesting. I've definitely learned a, a few things oh, I'm about, sure. well, I, I mean, just even from the perspective of like 
um, a photographer, how photographers are chosen a little bit because I, I work with the art producers from time to time, but I and supplement them when they need an additional body. But um, you'd be surprised how, I mean, it is really luck of the draw and really putting yourself out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's outside. Um, well, I was just talking to a guy yesterday who I'm going to talk to for the podcast in a couple of days. And he shoots and he was talking about how he went into an interview one time. And, and I've had it happen to me. Actually, I was telling him about me. I, was, I got a call from a client. Like, hey, we want you to estimate this job. And they knew they weren't going to use me. For like three years in a row, they knew they weren't going to use me. They just want, they just need another bid. And then huh. finally year four, I was like, I'm not doing it, man. I'm not, yeah. I'm not doing this again. Cause I know how this is going to end up. And I'm not going to spend my time putting all this stuff together. And they swore that this time would be different. They wanted to use me. So I went in, just changed the date on everything and just sent it in. I didn't even spend it. And I ended up getting it. Oh, but it's one of those things where there's so many jobs like that, where you are just that second or third bid where they know they're going to use somebody else or you don't know the right person, you know, to, you're not friends with the right people you know, yeah. to get that gig. So it's a lot of work, but. Well, I mean, so let me give you an example. There's, I can't mention the client, but you know, prospective client a newly signed on, um, you know, we're pitching them on this new brand new um, kind of creative direction and need to find you know, this, this, the CD and the AD have these, this, this vision of like what it should look like. Um, so they send us a deck, a brief and with, you know, descriptors and images that they pulled off of, I don't know where, Pinterest, what have you, right? Yeah. Behance. And legitimately, so, you know, as the art producers, we're like asking them, they're like, okay, so you like these images. Um, where did you find them? start let's start there are these images half the time actually you know we're looking and i th i don't think a lot of like um i don't know how many novice photographers ever really understand how important it is that if you have a model to get a um model release yeah you know because a lot of them end up using their friends and then it's just like let's just help go out shoot and have fun but there's just so many, there's so many photographers that we've reached out to in the past for this specific project and to their representatives, some of them weren't even reps, like some guy, like one of them was like some guy in Bosnia or whatever that we didn't even have more than maybe four pictures on his behance for his portfolio, barely any contact information. But we love this one image and we're like, uh, we wondered if we could, um, you know, buy the rights to it, at least to use for a few months. Right. And that's how freaking lucky it was. Right. I mean, we didn't end up using him because I don't know if we even got in touch with him or that the client agreed to that specific image, but we had to explore our options. But imagine if the client was like, so, you know, the client wanted to go to market immediately. So that's why we were thinking of using just an already made image and just buying the rights to it for licensing. Um, and I can only imagine being this like 
photographer for fun because it's your passion and you throw it up on Behance because you're going to send it, you know, somebody's cousins one day going to ask you like what, what your portfolio looks like. And you're like, Oh, check out my Behance. But like some major like ad agency in America finds your portfolio, finds this one image for this one global client that they want to use and license for like four or five months. And, you know, and it's just in store. It's not like, uh, it's not like global advertising, but who knows where that could lead, right? If you're already shooting that style and that's the style we want to use, we could potentially hire you to keep shooting in that style because you've already done it. And like, imagine not having a model release. Yeah. Or not knowing that person anymore or not being on good terms with that person anymore. Or that person is like, Hey, I want to cut out the profits. I want 50% because I'm in the photo. Right. And you're like, just, there's so many missed opportunities. I think that uh, people don't really think through when they're an artist of like getting your ducks in a row and making sure that you're prepared. And I think that's, you know, what they, that, that is what they mean by luck with the opportunity yeah. and, and preparation meeting at the same time. Yeah. I had a shoot years and years and years ago and I got a release from the model and it was literally for something like an agency directory or something. They used it on the back cover. This guy mm-hmm. called me and asked me if he could use it on the back cover and we worked out a price or whatever. The agency saw it that she was represented by and then called me and wanted to sue me for whatever. And I was like, I have a release. And like, oh, she didn't know what she was doing. But it doesn't matter. I was like, yeah. So then they had their lawyer send me an email or send me a letter after I'd already talked with the guy. And I was like, he said, well, she may have, but she didn't know what she was doing. So I just sent forwarded that email to the lawyers and never heard from the lawyers again. You know, <laughs> that's why she signed the release and your guy admitted that, you know, she signed it. Yeah. So, but you never know. I mean, I was talking to Frank Maddox, who's the, um, what is he? he's the creative i can't remember what, it, what his exact title is but he's he's at um, warner records and he did all the lincoln park album covers he uh, wow. deftones he said they were presenting a thing for deftones for an album cover and he found this cool shot this dude did of an owl and he was just using it as like hey here's kind of an idea he said the band yeah. saw it and was like that's it we want that we don't need to shoot anything that's the shot we want he said i didn't wow. he said I freaked out because I didn't have a, re- you know, a release for this. I was just pulled it off the internet just as a right. folder. And he said, next thing I know, luckily the photographer was like, yeah. And he worked with us and, and gave it to us. But you know, without having a release, you can get in trouble sometimes and end up having to, like he was lucky. The photographer was fine with it. You know, even though he thought he was using it as a placeholder, but yeah, I could easily see you going something like you're talking about and you guys want to use it for something big. And then the model's like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be on that. Or, right. you know, I want 75% or 50% of whatever. Something crazy. Yeah. yeah. They hold it up for ransom, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, I don't, I'm going to pronounce it the French way, but you know that, um, that kiss by, the kiss by Robert Duanel. It's like the black, it's a black and white blurry photo of a couple kissing in a cafe. Yes, yes, yeah. Right, they're yeah, standing. Yeah. And I think the Eiffel Tower's in the back. I'm not sure. Um, but the story with that one, with that photo is that there was a couple 
that were that tried to sue the Robert uh, Robert Duano, saying that they are the couple in that photo, and that he took it and like you know ran with it illegally. And he's like, well, that's impossible because that is a model. There, that those are two models that I hired for the photo shoot. So that died there. But that's just it's just so funny because you couldn't see their photo, like, you couldn't see their faces, right. and it's blurry. Like that though, if it's if it's something that's shot and anybody walking by, like it's out on the street or whatever, and you're walking by and you shoot it, yeah, you can't really. Can you really sue for that, or is it because I guess maybe because he was making money off of it, you're allowed? Maybe you can sue, or I don't I really know the the logistics of that, the legal part of that. I don't either. I'm sure it's. Um, I feel like there's a lot of gray area, right? Because public domain is public domain, but so like to your point like if you're outside and you just happen to see like and there's a a bunch of people walking by and there's a couple in it and you know they think with paparazzi that would be a huge issue like because if you're shooting a an actress or an actor and you just shoot them out on the street and then you sell it and it goes into a magazine and the magazine publishes it for money I mean, and that's why magazines get sued all the time, right? Because invasion of privacy. But then on the legal, on the, on the flip side of that, they are public figures. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, so they're, um, it's, I think it's the age old debate, you know, like if you're going to be a celebrity, I mean, a lot of actors don't want to be celebrities, right? Yeah. But they fall into it because like the Kardashians, I hate bringing this example up or you bring them into conversation, but they run their fame like a business. Yeah. You know, there's a whole side of the industry where they notify the photographers, the paparazzi saying, I'm going to be here leaving this restaurant at such and such time, or like their agent does so that they just happen to find them, you know, walking out of a restaurant. I was at... Um, I was, I was around the Beverly center a few years ago, having brunch with one of my closest friends at, um, an Italian place in the middle of the week, totally dead. Um, we were the only like two people there and maybe like, and then all of a sudden Jessica Alba comes in with her family. She's pregnant to have lunch as well. Again, middle of the week, no one else is there. Like nobody should know we're there. It's who cares. We walk outside after finishing lunch and there, I, I kid you not, there is a wall of paparazzi not 20 feet away from the door waiting. They took some shots of us because they, they, they were ready, you know, right, to get yeah. some photos. But I'm like, that's not, that's not an accident. There's absolutely no way. Like I know no. that they follow them from house to house, but come on now. Yeah, that's, I would not want that in any kind of way. Not even no. close. No. I think if I, I did would... want to be an actor, uh-huh. so I don't want to be that character actor that you know you see, but you don't really recognize when you see them out. You got to yep. think that, but you work constantly and you're making millions a year, but nobody really knows who you are. That's yeah. what I'd want to be. Yeah. Or you're, or you're the, even if people recognize you, no one's gonna, no one's gonna bother you, right? You know, because you're just one of those 
you've basically, I don't know, how much cursing are you allowing on this as podcast? Much, as much as you want. Great. I don't give a shit. <laughs> but basically, you've got like, fuck you or fuck off on your forehead, right? And like, yeah. you, you, you give off that energy, like, don't take a fucking picture of me. Um, don't look at me. Um, there are definitely some celebrities like Giovanni Rubisi. I, I was at a restaurant bar and he was there grabbing a drink with his then wife, I believe, Agnes Dane. Um, and I mean, I wasn't going to take his picture. I didn't give a fuck. I mean, like, I know this sounds really cliche, but like living in LA, you just get used to it. You see people, they're trying to live their life. Like, let's just, just let them have a drink at, at the freaking bar. But, you know, like I felt that energy and I just like, even though he doesn't get snapped up in, sh- in like magazines or paparazzi shots, I think there's nothing worse than like not being able to care, f- have a carefree going to like a bar with a friend. Yeah. I think they don't. Outside of COVID. <laughs> from what I've seen and heard and experienced a little bit, it's like, I think if you're one of these people come up, oh my God, I love you. I love you. I love this. They don't, they hear that from everybody. They don't yeah. care. You know, you're just annoying them at this point. I had a friend of mine ran in, he was in Florida working and he stopped into a bar to grab a drink and he saw this dude in this little hat, looked like he was this English guy. He was sitting at the bar having a drink, talking to another guy. He turned and he looked and he was like, that's the dude from ACDC, you know? So he was like, what is the singer from ACDC? So he's sitting there and he's like, eventually he's like, well, I'm just going to stay over here. I'm not going to go over there and bother him. He said the guy got up and left. Um, the friend did. And so my friend turned and looked at him and was like, hey, man, don't interrupt you. Just want to say, you know, um, I don't even remember what he said. He's, but he didn't bring up anything about music. And he said they ended up sitting there talking for about half an hour, just about random stuff. And he said it, it was very cool. He said the whole time he had that um, – Leonard Skinner song running through his head. It's like, don't ask me about my business. If you want to talk about fishing, that'd be fine or whatever the lyrics yeah. are. He said, so yeah. that's all I did. He said, I just, you know, we're talking about other stuff. I didn't want to go in there. And he said he was very cool. And I've noticed that I've met a couple of other, you know, celebrities like that. And I don't ever go like, I love you this and this and this. And they seem pretty cool where you can see when somebody else comes up and talks to them, you kind of see this thing on their face where it's a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. And they're, they're being yeah. nice. And I think if you're not paying attention, you don't see it. Most of the people I think, you know, are trying to be nice about it, but yeah, it's just not, I can't, you know, I just wouldn't want to be that way. I, mean, I just wouldn't want to be somebody that everybody recognizes and bothers like that. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the sense of relief that guy, like a celebrity would feel if all you do is just ask them to pass the salt and you're like, excuse yeah. me. And they're like, what? yeah <laughs> can you pass the salt and they're like oh, oh yeah sure yeah no problem take the fucking salt yeah <laughs> anytime do you want the pepper too i think there's and then i think you have some people and i don't know this for a fact but i would assume that like maybe the kardashians or if you did that like hey and you're like can you pass the salt they'd be like yeah but don't you know who i am you're right right you want to say something else you don't want an autograph or something but but that's noticeable right there are celebrities i i know so silly we're getting into celebrity talk but um (laughs) there i have been in a cafe before where there was a celebrity and she's 
she was more like a famous daughter, you know? Yeah. And she just, and I, I go into that cafe all the time. It's just one of those like hole in the wall places that barely anybody goes to. You go only go in there because like you work at an office nearby. Right. Anyway, she just happened to be there one night and um, I was dropping by to get some, some coffee and she just kept looking over at me and I'm like, do you think I'm somebody? <laughs> like, I was just like, why do you, why are you like looking at me? Like, do you expect me to come up to you and be like, Oh my God, are you so-and-so like, maybe you should have asked her if she wanted your autograph. Right. I, I should have, I should have. I just been like, do you want me to sign something for you? A coaster, a paper cup? Like, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, actually, do you mind if I run to the restroom real quick? No, go ahead. Okay. Not a problem. So you have been staying busy during this COVID thing. I'm trying, you know, otherwise I'm going to lose my mind. I have been working lately, so that was good. But I went four and a half yeah. months without shooting. Well, yeah, because I don't think anybody knew how to treat social distancing at all. You know, the insurance, the insurance policies around shooting, like people have just now figured out how to like, I think, work out the legalese. Yeah, I think a little of that's a little overblown too, because how are you going to prove that you got COVID? And my every set I've been on, where we've done everything possible to make sure that nobody gets it. And so yeah. far, I had one shoot where we found out a week later that one of the models on the first day of a three-day shoot ended up having it. Mm-hmm. But we had enough protocols in place that nobody got it. That's great. That was good. But how would you be able to, how could you come back and prove that unless you literally never left your house, came to this, the set, shot, went back home and didn't leave your house and then got it. There's no other way to, I don't know how you could prove that they got it from being on your set. Yeah. Um, I've heard a lot of going, okay, you can, you can only shoot with, you know, you can't fly anybody in, which I understand that it's a little more dangerous to fly somebody in, but you know, they have to be local and they really need to be the same family or you can only shoot out, you know, bring in people from these couple of States or whatever it is. But at the same time, how are you going to prove that, you know, they didn't get it from someplace else? I don't think anybody's, I haven't heard of anybody suing anybody yet because they, they came down with it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, nobody wants to take responsibility because now what is it? The, um, health, the healthcare companies are, or the insurance companies are treating it as a preexisting condition, which is bonkers. Seriously. Yeah. 
But if you come down with COVID, they say it's pre-existing condition. Yeah. How the hell is that even possible? I don't know. I do not know. I don't know enough. And I haven't spoken to the lawyers enough. And you know what? To be honest with you, I don't even know that most lawyers know everything. They're, you know, all, yeah. all, all the inner workings. Are you executing uh, at all? We are. We are. And I don't know. I mean, I know that we're just jumping through hoops, right? When it first, when it first happened, remote shooting was like a serious thing, right? Yeah. Uh, so all of the broadcast work that we were doing was all remote um, shipping to the point, like sometimes it was an option, right? Like what a lot of production houses have been doing that, I, that I've talked to, you know, they'll either work with the cinematographer or director and their family. Right. Um, so a lot of directors actually ended up putting, you know, I feel like their own families into their commercials. Great. Then you have the option to send the equipment to the, um, the, the actor's house so they can set it up and then they shoot themselves oh, yeah. and you, you know, virtually like through zoom or whatever, direct them on how to do it. Right. Um, so it's just like, you know, recording voiceover from a, a remote location, you just tap in. Right. And then, um, or, you know, I feel like a, there are some, some companies out there and I don't remember if it was Dove or I don't remember what company it was. Maybe it was Maybelline. But they had, they shot the entire commercial by uh, getting the footage from uh, the actor's cell phones. Really? Mm-hmm. And so for like example, but for example, like with, um, I think one of the Geico ads, the DJ Khaled Geico ad that we just did, obviously that was shot in multiple locations. That wasn't, but it was really cool how, they seamlessly tied it together through angles and, 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 um, oh, the one telling the brush in circles. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That yeah. was shot in two different locations and two different times and, you know, completely unrelated spaces. Well, it looks, it's yeah. Like you said, it's seamless. It looks like it's shot all in the same place. Right. Exactly. And I think that's really cool that, you know, we live in a time and space where like digitally we can pull that off and not let productivity kind of dip even though it is harder. So do you think because yeah. someone was telling me that they were able to grab screenshots while they're doing this kind of remote thing and drop it into layouts and show the client where before all this hit, that wasn't really a possibility without really bugging the hell out of the digital tech as he's shooting and slowing up production. But now because they're getting a live feed, they could do a screenshot, cut it out, drop it into a layout. Yeah. You guys do anything like that? I don't know. Um, I don't work on content. I don't work on broadcast as much as I do on digital. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's, that's one of the methods that we do. If there's anything that I've learned about um, advertising or just people and society since COVID happened, it's really thwarted us like, you know, maybe 10, 20 years into the future by forcing people to get online. Oh yeah. To stay connected, which, you know, a lot of people are on the slow track for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's probably a good thing. I, I still have one client 
is a small client and um, this was the Memphis client and she still wants everything delivered on a DVD. Oh, God. Know? And I tell her, I, say, I can, you know, give it to you to download and you can just download it straight onto the computer and you don't have to put in the DVD and deal it. She goes, I'm old school. It literally took me five years to talk her into going from Chrome's to digital. After every other client I had was shooting digital, she was still another year or two after that before she finally agreed to do it. So, well, was she paying for it? No, oh, yeah, she was paying for it. Because I mean, it is a little bit cheaper to to not, you she, know, processing just, time. She was just so used to it that you know, I don't think she likes change very much. Yeah, I know so, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, but. Do you shoot anything for Martin for an agency? Um, I did, um, yeah. but it was more, I ended up shooting, um, we, our client, Donate Life, I currently don't know what the status is, but they're a pro bono client because it's a nonprofit. Right. Um, we developed a project for them called 83 Futures, which was, um, the point of it was to basically make, organ donation hip and it worked right all right and it was super cool you know these limited you they we basically created a, a, a fashion label line which is called 83 features and the only way that you can get you could buy these articles of clothing or what have you um designed by these um by by artists and they were one-of-a-kind pieces sort of um is by signing up to the national registry to donate your organs. Should you, you know, yeah. should the situation arise that, you know, you present, you know, it happens. And um, so we had a bunch of uh, clothing that was made and we needed some promo shots. I mean, this is all pro bono. So if there's anything that I know well to do is work on a budget <laughs> or no budget. Uh, fortunately enough, one of our art directors, Ashley Bozeman, she is absolutely stunning and she actually has modeling experience and oh, she's got nice. a great look. Yeah. Super fortunate. Um, so in some of the coldest months in, in Richmond and believe me, whoever listens to this, it happens. It does happen. It does get really cold. Uh, but you're like, you know, I had her in some t-shirts and this poor thing, like out in the cold, I'm wearing a sweater. She's not, she's wearing this little t-shirt and like pants and she looks really cool. We got some really great shots, but I was basically asked to like take some shots for a catalog basically, but it wasn't a catalog. It was more for like promo material, right. um, like video and, um, and just basically for the website. And it got submitted to the one club for creativity, all of the materials, you know, all of the work that we did for 83 features as a whole, as a team, um, got submitted to the one club for creativity. And I believe, let me, let me make sure what I say the right thing. Um, we got an award and we got the silver cube. Man, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we got the silver cube um, 
at the ADC annual awards. And that was really fulfilling because um, it was just really fulfilling because um, I've never won an award or yeah. a bit, like it's, it wasn't an award specifically for photography, but I was a photographer listed, you know, on the yeah. project. So that was really cool. Um, and and, and getting a chance about to being a photographer. Uh, I mean, yeah, I still consider myself quit, a like quitting your job and just going to shoot. Heck no. <laughs> I've got bills to pay. Uh, way too many bills to pay. Um, and I just don't know, you know, like, you know, from personal experience, like it takes a lot of work to curate the relationships that you have to continue working. It's not oh. easy. Yeah. I, have, like, I, I have an immense amount of respect for people like yourself that like can do it as a profession. It's not easy and, and it's and it's just it takes a lot of patience and a lot of persistence and a lot of talent, obviously. Well, anytime I start thinking that it's a little much, I start thinking about the fact that I could be working at the bank wearing a suit and tie, you know, in some cubicle and talking to somebody about their finances. So I would rather be shooting than having to do that. So it's it's yeah. all worth it. What um Tell me about like, what's a favorite project you've done since you got there or not even since you got there, just in general, since you've been like, you know, LA, Detroit, New York, Martin, Richmond. Uh, that's hard to say. Um, I definitely loved working on the 83 Futures project as small as it was. It ended up having a lot of, it had ended up having legs. And that's the thing. Like you, sometimes you just don't know. Um, well, I think sometimes those can be the most fulfilling too. Is those ones really was. don't really have the big budgets; they have the smaller budgets. But you get to do. I found that sometimes with the smaller budgets, you get to be a little more creative occasionally, or especially if it's something a little like that, mm -hmm. that you don't have to stick to exact parameters sometimes. Yeah. So it makes it a little more interesting. I guess it all depends on the client. Yeah. Um, one of the, I would, there's, there's a couple cool things that I've done in my lifetime, but um, one of them was outside of the Martin agency uh, doing, I was one uh, with a, with a team, my, my team and my former business partners, um, we were exhibiting, we exhibited at Art Basel Miami Beach in um, 2014. Oh, wow at Scope Art Show, and that was super cool. We helped also with the Queen of the Night pop-up at also during Art Basel uh, 2014. We worked with the producer that had all these amazing relationships with the Elizabeth Sackler Museum um, in, in Brooklyn, New York. And um, I, think it's, I think it's called the Center of Feminist Art. My, the name escapes me at the moment just because my brain's fried, but... Um, <laughs> It was, um, that was really cool because like, it was just so high, it was so high profile, but it was also really cool to work with so many artists and see self-expression come alive in so many different ways um, and to be part of it. That was just beyond. Like, as cool as it is, you know, as much as like on the outside looking in, you're like looking at, at someone's life and you're thinking, wow, they're next to so-and-so and so-and-so. But right. honestly, like 
actually being there on the ground hours before I, I don't enjoy event production just because it's just so stressful. It's so stressful, but seeing the production and seeing the process of how an artist puts together the artwork is so incredibly exciting to me and interesting because you're just, you're what, because you always see the end product and you never see what goes into it beforehand, the prep work and all the, all the other stuff. And to see it come together and come to life is just so incredible. Like I sound like a broken record right now, but it's true. Like, yeah, I can see that. It's going to be very cool to be there and experience all that and watch it happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, imagine being in a room with Van Gogh and, and seeing him pick up the brush on an empty canvas and you're like, Oh my God, what's going to happen next? Yeah, That would be <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, uh, the other, the other project is uh, the design festival in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you would appreciate this. The, the scene in Detroit is just, is also very like dynamic and, and artistic. Um, very similar. I, I would like to Berlin and that stuff is also nonprofit. I worked um, at a nonprofit and the design festival is all like through sponsorships. It all comes alive working with individual artists. So again, to your point with really small budgets, like right. really incredible things happen when people come together and make things, make things happen. So that's very yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. I got two more questions for you and then I'll let you go. Um, <laughs> What is a normal day like for you just at work or semi-normal, somewhat normal? Basically, what are your main responsibilities on a day-to-day kind of basis? Okay. Um, as a producer, my, my day involves talking to people, checking schedules, tracking budgets and, you know, spend and making sure that I feel like a lot of times an operator, like, you know, those old school operators that connected the oh, wires yeah, on, yeah. A, on a board. I feel like that person <laughs> in today's age that I am constantly connecting people together. And half the time I'm just putting two people to talk to each other. So as a producer, um, and my, my role right now is dual, actually. I'm a design studio manager, so I work and oversee um, a number of designers on the production side, but I also produce, so I'm doing both roles at the same time. So my job is I'm talking to designers all day. I'm talking to probably the entire agency all day. Oh, wow. Um, at whatever capacity to make sure that these projects are done on time. Do you get to travel any? Um, I have actually, yeah. but not this, not yeah. this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not lately. Not lately but la- my last trip was, uh, my last trip was to Chicago and I was out there for, um, when we had discover as a client, uh, we had a shoot out there and yeah, I got to go and I got to help out and, that was really great. That's pretty I loved cool. It. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like yeah. traveling when they pay for it. If I can build in at least a half a day or a day to hang out and do something, if I'm going someplace cool. Yeah. Cause I've had yeah. so many where I think we were in Miami. I remember my wife went with me on one trip and it was South beach, 
for three days down to the keys for a day or two and then back to South beach for another day. My wife said, Oh, I'll come with you on that trip. I'll help out, you know, whatever. So, cause she's really good at watching for details and all kinds of stuff. Day. I think the first day we finished down in the keys, she was like, I'm not doing this again. I'm <laughs> not I, because we literally, it was get up, you know, for sunrise, go shoot, shoot till sunset, change, take a shower, you know, the whole deal, eat with everybody, go back to the room, pass out, get up and do it all over again. She goes, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> well, that's the thing. When people are like, oh, do you travel for work? And I'm like, yeah. And they're, you know, when I went to Chicago, people are like, oh, it looked like so much fun. I was like, yeah. And then, you know, we also had, you know, crazy hours because there's a lot of work in between and we had to squeeze in you know, an ounce of fun here and there where right. we could. And we did, you know, obviously, because you have to live in the moment. But yeah, of course, it's not a vacation. No. We're, we're working. <laughs> yeah, my, I think probably my favorite one was out of shoot in Cabo. And wow. We had a day of shooting, then another half a day. And we finished, because we started before sun, sunrise, we finished by 10 a.m. Wow. And then we just all maybe 9.30. So we went, ate breakfast, changed clothes, whatever, and then went into Cabo and just hung out in Cabo and had lunch and, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And that was a cool trip because we just got to hang out for the rest of the day and then leave the next, sometime the next morning, I think, we took off. So that was cool. So awesome. after that, I'm like, all right, I need to start. Anytime I go someplace cool now, I try and build in a little extra time. Maybe I get there. Maybe I'll fly in half a day, a day early, something like that and try and uh, have a little bit of time to hang out. All right, so last one. What's Shoot. the strangest thing that has happened to you since you've gotten into this business? Jeez Louise. Um, <laughs> I need a second. I need a second. Take your time. I mean... <laughs> The reason I'm like struggling right now, because I just feel like something, there's nothing that stands out particularly. I think the strangest thing that I would say is noticing how out of it some people are in the industry. And I constantly, I'm not kidding you, maybe on a daily basis or every other day, wonder to myself, I'm like, why how did you end up here? And I'm not saying that I work with idiots. I don't. I work with really intelligent people. But some of the questions that I get asked sometimes make me, and I've asked, I've asked my fair share of dumb questions. Um, because sometimes you just get really tired and maybe that's what these people go through. But there's sometimes where, you know, I've read an email from someone and I'm like, and they're asking this really general question or this very specific question. And they basically answer themselves in their own email. Maybe they just needed to write it, write it out. Um, so do you respond, read your email and you'll have your answer? No, no. I think that's <laughs> passive aggressive. No, that's good. Um, that's not my job to point out them, them being stupid, but um <laughs> You know, maybe there, sometimes I like to, I, I like to treat it as I'm not going to respond 
because what if I'm missing something, you know, what if I'm just, what if I missed a conversation or whatever, but nine times, eight times out of 10, like there's definitely times where I'm wrong, but um, there, there are times where I'm like, you just answered your own question, but I'm just going to let that question hang in the air and maybe somebody else will answer it for you. Well, that's smart. So, that's kind of yeah. like I tell my girls, like, before you bitch somebody out for something, you yeah. need to be 99% sure that you didn't miss something and you didn't screw up. Yep. And Because the last thing you want is to be in the middle of bitching them out and then they go, look, and then you go, oh, sorry. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being direct, right? No, I, I agree. I, I hope that you empower your girls to be direct because oh, I don't think people are direct enough in this my oldest one definitely is she had an issue with um my brother's stepson cut her off a snapchat and right after she had told my brother and his wife that she had seen some disturbing stuff and she was worried about him and so when she saw that she had been cut off she went to my brother and his wife and said did you tell them that i told you they're like, no, we just said we had heard from somebody, but we didn't tell them who it was. And so she was, she thought about it and thought about it. And she goes, Mm-mm. so she went, I had sent her to our house, to my dad, brother's house to pick up some stuff because we were moving and I needed her to go get yeah. some stuff. When she got there, she confronted him and his wife and was like, I know you told him. And yeah. I don't appreciate it. And my brother was like, I don't, I believe my brother and she did too. She was like, I don't think you know, Jeff told him, but she said, I guarantee you what his wife did. And, uh, but, you know, so we definitely try to get them. I'm like, I don't have any problem with them being direct and all that. I just, and I want them to be, I just don't want them to be one of these things where they just think they know what the problem is or what happened. And it's not yeah. really, and they go and just rip into somebody and find out they were completely wrong. But yeah. yeah, I don't want them to be these kind of people who let people run over them just because they're yeah. girls or just because they won't speak up or whatever. Yeah. Not a chance. Yeah. Right, I lied. That's I awesome. do have one more question. What's the Billy, Okay, please. What's the Billy exclamation point on the shirt? Oh my God. I get so many questions about this shirt. It's hilarious. Um, I love the name. I just think it's such a fun name. And, you know, if I was born in America and I was Ameri- like I was, you know, purebred born American with a German scotch Irish background or whatever. Um, <laughs> I wish that, you know, my nickname would be Billy, but it's not. Um, no, I, so there's a, okay. There's a famous YouTuber. His name's Casey Neistat. And he's a filmmaker. I've been following him for years. Um, I love, I loved I love his style and it's evolved. God, so much. Like he's become a mini celebrity. He was in this Netflix movie with like, um, that just came out called power something. Oh yeah. yeah. I I haven't watched it yet, but I saw. Yeah. He had like a small role, but I was like, look at you. Like (laughs) started, you know, it's not that he wasn't a big deal before, but like, he's really like skyrocketed into, you know, celebrity status. But, um, it was just so cool to see. But anyways, so Casey is uh, married to um, a jewelry maker. And 
why can I not remember? I'm such a jerk right now. <laughs> just, just Candace. What am I saying? Candace is his wife. And she uh, has been a jeweler for a very long time. She's had two businesses. One is like a, a more high-end fi uh, fine, fine jewelry line. And then she started a fun line, still like high-end, um, but more accessible at a more accessible price point, giving her like much more, I think, uh, flexibility with her creativity. And she called it Billy. Uh -huh. And um, I'm just a girl that loves t-shirts. And I saw it and I was like, that looks like a really well-made t-shirt. I still don't have any of her jewelry. Definitely want it. Um, or at least you have the t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the thing is when I, when I bought, I could probably, I could definitely afford her jewelry now. But um, I remember when I first bought it, it was what I could buy. And I've loved it ever since. I wear it all the time. And I've had so many people comment on it. Yeah, because I had no idea. Great. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It's a good story. At it's least good advertising. What, what Billy is. There yeah. you go. Need some jewelry for your wife or your daughters. There you go. Yeah, I'll check it out. Where were yeah. you born? I was born in Baku, Azerbaijan. Okay. How yeah, old were you when you moved? Um, so I came to the United States when I was like six, seven. Yeah. But we left Baku in 1989, 1990-ish, um, because there was a war that broke out. And so we moved to Russia, but we couldn't stay there either because really complicated story, but um, trying to keep it short. My family is interracially mixed, basically. My mother's Russian. My dad's Azeri. Okay. My grandmother, his mother, uh, is Armenian. And there's the, essentially the war that broke out was between the Azeris and the Armenians. So we are oh. viewed as an, an interracially mixed family. So, you know, my mom is from a small town just outside of Moscow and we moved there and stayed with my mom's family, but, um, you know, racial tensions have like, you know, always been a little bit high, but especially back then it's, it's much more chill now. It's not a big deal. But um, so we got sponsorship as political refugees, essentially, because we couldn't stay in Baku. We couldn't stay really in Russia. Um, it was just far too complicated. Um, and we were sponsored and we moved out to um, Dallas, Texas, where I grew up. Because the U we tried to stay within the, like, the European section of mm -hmm. the world because obviously our whole family line and everything is in that area. Um, but like the UK, for example, wasn't accepting, accepting immigrants at that time or political refugees. So that's, so we ended up in Texas. How'd yeah. you like Texas? It was great. Yeah. It was really great. Actually. I love Texas. It'll have a piece of my heart forever. Where were you in Texas? Dallas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like Dallas. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's doing it. They're doing so many cool things in uh, in the downtown Dallas area. It's really, really, it's really awesome to see that city evolve. Yeah, I like. I've been there a couple of times, but, but yeah, I do like Dallas. Good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, anybody watching, listening, you guys like it? Thumbs up it, subscribe to it, all that stuff, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Yeah, keep following. Bye. Bye.